Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Wendy Richards. Wendy is the Managing Director of the Nappy Lady Limited, a multi-award winning nappy specialist and retailer which stocks real nappy products. Wendy, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure having you on the air with us. Now, the purpose of this discussion, first and foremost, is to establish your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader on its own first, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you, Wendy, and how it resonates on the whole. Um, A leader is there to inspire their team and people to help uh, people want to sort of improve themselves, learn more, kind of take them along to sort of you know get them to come with you on your vision of where you want to go. Mm, there are some important things to take away from that. The fact that as a leader, you do have to be able to inspire and motivate and you have to get people to sort of buy into a collective vision. And I think that takes a degree of people management, doesn't it? We can say yes, that leadership and management are sort of separate qualities but there does have to be a little bit of overlap at least in my view and under that umbrella of leadership comes people management understanding that to motivate different people um, you may need uh, perhaps a a different approach so that dictates that you have to be adaptable and flexible as a leader doesn't it yes definitely and that has really been brought under the limelight um, if you were into the limelight rather if you will during the uh, the context of the uh, the current COVID-19 situation hasn't it where business as a whole has also had to adapt to changing circumstances and changing market climates um, for yourselves as a business um, have you found that the pandemic has forced you to adapt in a similar manner or has it been almost business as usual? No, it's definitely not been business as usual. I mean, when just sort of before lockdown started, um, sales went completely rocketed. They really skyrocketed because parents, we deal with uh, parents with babies and they were struggling to find disposable nappies in the shops. So they were turning to cloth nappies. So before lockdown, things were completely crazy for us. But then immediately the lockdown happened, all our supply um, dried up because the factories were closing. So we were having to try and source different products, try and advise customers in different ways. Um, usually we would run demos in um, in the warehouse where parents could learn things. But obviously that's all stopped because of social distancing. So we've had to take to social media. Um, and we've been sort of running live groups. Um, We've kind of had to try different ways to sort of take the information to customers and just different methods of trying to get stock. And that comes down to flexibility, doesn't it? And I think smaller businesses have certainly found that more easygoing than maybe some of the bigger businesses out there who are more set within certain structures. Yes. Yes, definitely. Mm. I mean, because we're only a small company, we work very closely with our suppliers. So there was sort of lots of direct phone calls to them trying to work out what we can sort of do to help each other out. And um, with regards to the day-to-day running of the uh, the business from an employee's perspective, has that been impacted by this? Have you found that um, people have had to either maybe be furloughed or people have had to adapt to remote working during this time? Yeah, it completely changed all of our all of our team. So um, most of our packing team have been furloughed um, purely because there wasn't enough 
work for them to pack orders because we couldn't get the stock. But also in our warehouse, we couldn't socially distance because it was quite a small warehouse and there just wasn't the sort of the, the space to enable more than one person to work. But during lockdown, we actually moved the business to a new warehouse. We were already planning to anyway, but it was kind of what to do with the you know, sales are going down. It's not the usual thing that you take on a bigger premises, but we went with it because that meant that we'd be able to bring more staff back in the future because we'd be able to uh, social, socially distance more. So we have been able to take uh, back one member of staff so far to the packing team. All of the admin team, all of them um, had to work remotely. So that was a lot of, sort of setting up um, uh, video conferences, which was not done before. Um, different methods, just changing our systems of dealing with refunds that when you're not, if things aren't going to one place. So yeah, everything, every aspect of the business has had to change. We're beginning to come back to normal or the new normal now as we're more mm. of us are able. And when we think of the, uh, the new normal, um, just uh, for a moment, um, what features of the lockdown period do you think will end up becoming permanent parts of the way that we operate and do business under that new normal? Um, I think it's going to be more remote working. I mean, some of our team always did remote working, but now now that we've seen it's worked, I think particularly because we're in uh, mothers, so all of my team have young children. Um, so for some holidays, I can see more of our team being able to work um, remotely. Um, we've also sort of uh, different ways we've learned to be more efficient at work because we were so sort of stuck for how many staff that could work. We, we've had to pull our systems apart and kind of rebuild them and we've been able to cut out some sort of processes that are slowing us down. And with regards to um, what we discussed earlier about the fact that from a leadership perspective, it's taken a great deal of flexibility during this time and a real change um, in sort of tactics with regards to people management. Have you found that you've had to sort of deploy that in terms of having conversations with different people, keeping them motivated during this time in the sense that you've maybe had to provide reassurance to some people and they've been looking to you as a business leader to kind of provide that for them amid the uncertainty and the worry? Uh, yeah, I mean, particularly at the start when it was all very unknown because we didn't, I think nobody knew, really knew how bad it was going to get. Um, and obviously when you see a decline in sales, people begin to sort of worry about their jobs. Um, after the first few weeks, it began to settle down. We all kind of found our pattern. People worked out that, you know, how they could do their hours um, and the risk that there was the option of being furloughed um, rather than being sort of completely laid off um so at the start there was a lot more once we kind of hit the middle of lockdown it was kind of we kind of went into sort of the, the new lockdown normal um, and now coming back it was it's trying to reassure staff that we can provide a safe environment for them and sort of where the future is going for the business and have you found that you've learned quite a lot about the staff um, around you and the business itself as you've adapted to this new reality yeah, it's been really interesting actually to see sort of how each member of the team has reacted and how they've coped with either load or uh, remote working, um, and how they've sort of kept in contact with us. It's been quite interesting. Each sort of each person has sort of managed it differently, depending on as well. They've all got very different home backgrounds and um, different dealing with children for a lot of that stuff. So very inspiring response from them then. And that's a word that came up at the beginning of the conversation when we talked about leaders. So the need to, of course, inspire people. Um, If we touch on that in just a little bit more detail, are there any people that you've really looked up to throughout your life and your career that have perhaps inspired you and had an influence on you? Um, 
Yeah, there's a few. I mean, I, I follow sort of, um, Sarah Blakely. She's the um, owner of the Spanx company. Um, mm. And she was self-made. She is 100% she owns the company, same as myself. You know, um, and she says she also not, just about profit but she actually formed a foundation um, and she gives back to the community and helps women entrepreneurs and we actually do quite a lot of um, charity work ourselves where we're sort of trying to raise money through different projects and different products we're selling so I, I kind of really love that kind of giving back to the community and sort of the, the wider environment. And during this pandemic time as well, uh, we've seen a real sense of national unity captured, haven't we? And people who've been furloughed, but also people who've continued working. They've been really mucking in and getting involved in community initiatives, haven't they? And uh, making sure the vulnerable are looked after. And we've seen people really bringing the best out of themselves in times of adversity in both business and in communities as well. Yes, it's been brilliant. And and two of my team who were furloughed, they actually went on to volunteer in the community. So they they weren't able to to work, but they were able to go out and they've helped in different different ways. So that that was a really lovely sort of feeling that Mm. even though, you know, I couldn't offer them anything, they were still able to, while still earning their money through furlough, to go and give something back. And for those staff members who've been furloughed, um, have you actively tried to engage with them, keep the communication channels open technologically through the likes of Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc., just to sort of keep that close-knit feel within the business as well? Yes, yeah, no, definitely. So um, Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, they all kind of have their different preference of sort of mm. platforms. So yes, I've kind of, I've got all sorts of different options with all of them. And of course, we mentioned the uh, the new normal um, already during this uh, conversation, uh, but I'd like to focus on that just a little bit more before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program, Wendy. Um, what do you actually envision the new normal bringing for yourself and for the Nappy Lady Limited? And what do you really hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic in the next year and look to the longer term future? Uh, I, I'm kind of being quite realistic that we're already seeing... Um, sort of the impacts of COVID sort of on our customers and the, the way that they're shopping, um, we do think we're going to go into a recession. So we're seeing customers being a lot more cautious about what they're buying and they're making choices of, even if it's only sort of a few pounds on an item, but they go for the white rather than the print. So we are sort of kind of planning that we're going to go into a harder period of time. So we know we're going to have to be efficient. Uh, we know we're going to have to be really streamlined and sort of, just be re- really tight on the budget uh, and just keep keep an eye on everything and open any opportunity we can to bring more sales in or another another way the team knows we've got to go for it. Mm. Keeping adaptable, keeping flexible and just staying on your toes and staying alert, isn't it? More than anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, Wendy, um, it's been really enjoyable having you um, having you on the programme with us this afternoon. And, you know, given how informative it's been for myself and also from a listener's perspective, I also think it would be fantastic to catch up and have you back on the programme at some point in the next year, just to see how things are getting on at the business at that time. And we can also then assess exactly what's changed in the time between alongside as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Lovely. I think so as well. Um, I've really enjoyed um, having you um, on the air with us, uh, Wendy. And um, do take care and do stay safe um, in the meantime with all still going on in the world because we're certainly not out of the woods with this yet, even though we're starting to see more and more restrictions eased by the week, it seems. I was speaking there to Wendy Richards, Managing Director of the Nappy Lady Limited. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But 
He's most known for the fact that he's the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. That is coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only 
uh, about eight months older than me. He graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looking upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out. He didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing 
um, only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well and more than that whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i I think and i don't not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so 
I joke make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you into. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did make it again, laugh if you, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think 
some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was 
a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.